0: rhh10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. As the nights draw in and the mornings get darker and the days get colder, do you think about what food and nutrients you may need to help keep you healthy as you run through the winter months? In this episode, we look at some key nutrients for you to consider – focusing on keeping your immune system in optimal health. As well as the foods you eat, we also give you some practical tips to keep you safe and warm as you head out the door on those cold winter months. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Club. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I'm Aileen, and I'm here with Karen again. How are you today, Karen?
1: Yes, I'm fine. Thank you, Aileen. Um, mm. Yes, it's, it's a nice afternoon, and I'm looking forward to our conversation again.
0: Yeah, the, the autumn weather is really drawing in, isn't it? And, uh, I've noticed the mornings are darker and the days are getting a tiny little bit colder. Um, so that really was why we thought today's topic would be all about thinking about nutrition as we go into running during the colder winter months. I know we're not quite hit them yet, but we know they're on the horizon, don't we? Um, so, so yeah, it was, I thought it'd be nice to have a chat about, um, nutrition for winter running um, but also maybe some lifestyle and and practical ideas um, would help too Um, I don't know about you but I've been digging out my hats and gloves and waterproofs just to be ready yes Um,
1: I've I've had to wear mine some of the time Aileen especially my gloves just that early morning there's there's a bit of a a coldness in the air so I have to wear my gloves not my hat yet but my gloves
0: (laughs) yes good So, thinking about the topics today, Karen, um, what would you do? You do anything to change your eating habits during the winter months? Um, oh, let me
1: think about that, Eileen. Do I? Um, I don't think it's something that I really have thought about to to be honest. So, so the short answer would be no. Um, but as I think about it now, as we're speaking. I think probably maybe my breakfasts I change because during the summer when I go out early in the morning, I'll come back and I'll have something, I'll have prepared overnight oats or something like that the night before and I'll have that because um, it's nice and refreshing, it's filling, um, but it's it's chilled. Um, but but when I start to move into the winter, I find that um, coming back to overnight oats isn't quite the same, so I tend to shift to porridge and I think that's mm. just because it is so much um warmer and you get that warming feeling um, after being out in the cold. But um but that would that would be um, about it, really. Uh, I am aware that I also need to think about supporting my immune system a bit more over the winter months. So, um, so I do try to think about my vitamin C intake um, and, and, and I do also consider um, a vitamin D supplement if I felt it was necessary at this time as well. But how about you, Aileen? Do you adapt your diet at all during the winter months?
0: Um, I don't think I particularly adapt it for my running. Um, but I do, I think I naturally gravitate towards eating soups a lot and I like really adding warming ingredients to recipes, even juices and smoothies, things like ginger and spices. Um, I'll like add chilli to soup and salads. So you just get that warming feeling from those spices when, when you're eating food. Um, I still love my salads, but I think during the winter, I go for sort of crunchier, cheer, chewier vegetables. So things like shredding up kale or shredded cabbage, you know, any types of cabbage. Um, it sort of takes you a bit longer to eat it, but there's something more satisfying about it. Um, so I, I enjoy doing that. Um, and like you, I'm really focused on my immune system. So, um, I've, you know, I've just revised my supplement plan, um, to take me through the sort of autumn, winter months and really help protect me from winter infections because i think that's one of the big you know i know we're we're still in covid times um so we're all worried about about protecting ourselves against covid but i think in any winter time as a runner the last thing we want to do is is get a cold or a chest infection or because that's you know horrible and it stops you from running and it just sort of drags you down so um having said that i did have a little shocker of a A 36 hour head cold last week which took me by surprise um but that made me really think well I've got to bounce back from this quickly so um I've really upped my supplements Mm.
1: Mm. well done yeah Mm. Yeah. you seem to have bounced back from it quite quickly Aileen which is really good and sort of as a reflection on on how you do look after yourself and your supplement regime at this time of year so um so that's really great
0: yeah, and I think you can get that sort of, um, you know, you notice the signs quickly and you think, right, you know, I'm going to jump on this quickly yes. and <laughs> make sure that it's not going to develop into something worse. So, uh, yeah. In the pit and in the bud. Yes, absolutely. So, um, today, let's move on to our topic for today. So, what we said that we'd look at is, um, some nutrition as well as lifestyle and practical issues linked to winter running and the key areas that we're going to uh, talk about today are the key nutrients to consider for winter running and why, uh, what the principal food sources of these nutrients are, uh, and just finally thinking about any practical and safety considerations to t- to think about as winter uh, draws near. So, so could we start, Karen, by um, maybe you could outline what you think the key nutrients are that we should all consider for our winter running?
1: Yeah, sure, Aileen. So the ones that I think are important um, to consider during the winter months would be vitamin C, as I mentioned earlier, and also vitamin D, but also um, magnesium, um, the omega-3 fatty acids, and also beta-glucans, which I know that we have discussed in the past, and I know that they're one of your favourite nutrients, Aileen.
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah. Funny that I've got a favorite, but uh, I think it is a really good one. So yeah, yeah I would agree. I would say those are, would be my top top five. Um, but I'd also um, just sort of mention that there's lots of other nutrients that are really important for the winter months. Uh, and that might vary uh in priority uh from person to person but if if we can look through these top five and maybe discuss them and um, let's look at them one at a time, Karen and why they'd be cons important to consider so if we think about vitamin C first um I always think vitamin C is underrated you know people sort of take it for granted, but actually it's very powerful uh You might have heard of it as ascorbic acid, you might see that written on labels. Um, so vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin, and it's the body has a, a limited storage capacity for vitamin C. And as a result of that, it's classified as an essential vitamin, meaning that you really have to have a regular and adequate intake, and that that must be provided from your diet, so from your food, uh, because the body's unable to produce it. And, you know, I think most people would acknowledge that vitamin c's principal function is to support the immune system um and that's why really it's sort of on our top five list here because as we're all aware you know we are more susceptible to illnesses and infections during the winter months so having uh, good levels of vitamin c will be very protective um and also thinking about vitamin c's other um Sort of roles and actions um, it's very important for something called free radical scavenging so in other words what it's doing is neutralizing the rogue molecules that are known to cause cell damage uh, it's a well-known antioxidant nutrient it's good for soft tissue support and also to help with the absorption of iron um, is there anything else that you would add there about vitamin c karen
1: Yes, actually, Aileen, you mentioned about vitamin C being a a well-known antioxidant and free radical scavenger. Now, this is really important for a runner because the metabolic processes of running, especially endurance running, uh, that in particular increases the production of these oxidants and free radicals in the body. And, And these oxidants and free radicals, if they're not controlled, could lead to compromised immune health and inflammation um, now vitamin c however is known to neutralize the effect of these rogue molecules um, but also thinking about immune support you mentioned aileen that during the w- winter months we are we're all at increased risk of infection um, and illnesses well runners and again especially distance runners are even more susceptible to this and they're susceptible to it At any time of the year so clearly during the winter months it's important that they really protect themselves because they're they're doubly at risk of um these infections and illnesses so really important for runners to protect themselves from these risks through the optimal nutrition um Mm. that that we that we're always recommending really aren't we Aileen
0: yeah yeah but I think it's um it's a good reminder that, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a high risk group. And so we've got to really look after ourselves. So yeah, I'd agree with that, Karen. And what about vitamin D? Um, so, um, we've talked a lot about vitamin D in previous episodes, but one of the key reasons that I think a runner would need to think about the vitamin D status during the winter is because probably most of the running could be completed during darkness. So. When you take into account that many runners may work or they might have young families then they probably tend to run early in the morning or later in the evening so their exposure to daylight to support vitamin d synthesis is, is very limited during the winter months i mean we'd, we'd hope that their vitamin d status would be good coming into winter because of having been outdoors a lot over the, the summer months um, but, you know, it's still, we're sort of at, at risk because we're probably, like most people, living in the dark rather than in the daylight.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you, Aileen, but I definitely would fall into that category. You know, most of my running during the winter is completed in darkness because I do tend to go out early in the morning, get my run done before I start the day. So I don't really see much day, daylight. Okay. So just thinking a bit more about vitamin D, clearly it's synonymous with bone health, but um, in recent years, there, there has been, there have been some significant studies and evidence to sh- suggest that it is also important for, for a healthy immune system. You know, it is thought that vitamin D is capable of increasing the release of certain anti-inflammatory molecules whilst at the same time inhibiting the release of some pro-inflammatory molecules. So it really has quite a powerful immune effect. Um, so that's just sort of a, a quick resume of, um, of vitamin D. And if we were then to move on and have a quick look at magnesium as well, um, uh, as we know, magnesium is really important for a runner again at any time of the year because it's really essential in energy production. But it's also influential in muscle relaxation, which again is an area we speak about um quite a lot, alien in other episodes. And during the winter months, you know it does take so much longer for our muscles to warm up when we're running. so they are they're going to be really constricted. For a longer period of time, which can potentially lead to an increased risk of injury. Um, now, this could be the case following a run um, if the if the weather is really cold. So it could be that muscle relaxation following a run will take so much longer to occur as well. So having optimal magnesium status may help to reduce the effects of this and encourage more efficient muscle relaxation, both as we move move into the run, but also at the end of the run as well.
0: Yeah, so that's, um, that's again good advice, isn't it, Karen? So cold weather can equal tight muscles. Um, so having magnesium at an optimal level is really important. Um, and I think the other, um, link with magnesium is that magnesium's required for the synthesis of active vitamin D. Um, so that's another good reason to, to make sure that your magnesium is optimal, um, during the winter. So moving on to the essential fatty acids, Karen, especially the omega 3. Um, so we know that, um, omega 3 is really important for supporting the immune system, um, as it's a, a really poor, potent anti-inflammatory nutrient. Um, and we've discussed this quite a lot. There's a numerous number of episodes that omega 3 uh, pops up. So, um, episode two, when we talk about macronutrients, episode 14, when we're looking at endurance system and the immune, um, endurance running in the immune system. And then we've also talked about it in episode seven, which was about vitamins and minerals, episode 15, which was about DOMs and episode 26, a more recent one about nutrition to support soft tissue. So, um, you know, you, again, it's like one of those nutrients. If you look after it and you make sure you're optimal, it's going to have, um, effects all over, um, the body Um, so just uh, another thing that I think is worth mentioning here Karen um, that people may or may not know is one of the principal ways that omega-3 exerts this anti-inflammatory influence is by um, competing and displacing other inflammatory molecules from the cell membrane Um, so I'm thinking about um, arachidonic acid here which is a pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acid molecule um so that i just thought that was something that was worth raising
1: yeah absolutely and i think what we can see here is that all of the nutrients we're discussing are known to to support the immune system in one way or another. And the last one that we're going to mention is no different, really. So these beta-glucans that we mentioned in the beginning, they're, they're naturally occurring compounds that are produced by bacteria, by yeast, by fungi, but also um, by many plants as well. And they're known to be really potent immunomodulators. And what I mean by that is that they adapt or modulate the immune response through their action on various white blood cells. and, And the white blood cells are the ones that react to any immune trigger in the body. So, I'm going to name a few and, and the only reason I'm naming them is because I think the white blood cells have been spoken quite a bit recently. Um, because of COVID again, there have been, there's been lots of mentions of how COVID acts on different, um, cells. So ones that, that people might have he- heard of are the macrophages, the T cells, the B cells, and also the natural, natural killer cells. So it might mean nothing to some people, but it might mean something to some. Um, yeah. So, so, but. As, as well as modulating the immune response, the response, beta glucans are also known to fight infection and have also been found to have some anti-cancer effects as well. So again, they are really powerful compounds.
0: Yeah, you said, Karen, they are my favorites and I'm always promoting the use of them, um, you know, for uh, for protective measures more than anything, you know, particularly at this time of year, you know, if you're looking at an immune supplement to help support you during the winter, uh, check out the label. And, you know, you might find that there are beta glutens there or, you know, if you're buying supplements, um, but there are beta glucan containing foods, um, which you could include as part of your uh, winter plan um so now that we've sort of started to think about foods karen maybe it's a good idea to discuss some of the food sources the nutrients that we've we've chatted about um, um but just before we do that i'm just thinking about the female factors are there any female factors that we should consider for winter running
1: yeah well when again going back to episode 14 aileen we did sort of mention um about the fact that and that was the what the the episode around the immune system and we did mention there that we're not aware of any concrete evidence to suggest the immune system operates differently between men and women but um it has been found that um that the immune system um 80% of all people with with autoimmune did I make sense there? So sorry Alien, I'm going to say that again. So it has been found that 80% of all people with autoimmune conditions tend to be female. So if yeah. you so if you are a runner with an autoimmune condition, then supporting your immune system optimally is going to be even more important again during the winter months. And interestingly, mm-hmm. in an article I was reading recently, it did state that female the female immune system tends to be better at fighting off pathogens than their male c- counterparts. Now, this is because they find that men tend to be affected by parasites more often than women. So that's why they think that we are better at fighting off pathogens. But although this is the case, they, they do tend to have a stronger immune response. The article goes on to suggest that this might Make them more susceptible to immune conditions, such as that autoimmunity compared to males. So, so we've got a good response in one way, but it's almost like if it, if it, if it responds too much, then potentially it puts us at higher risk of an autoimmune condition. I do think there needs to be more research into this area to confirm it, but, but it made interesting reading, I have to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, um <laughs> protecting your immune system is pretty important at any yeah. time of life uh, particularly as we were in the, the middle of the pandemic but uh yeah, Definitely. I think it is interesting to see how we respond in different ways. Okay, Karen. So let's, uh, let's have a little round up, um, before we move on. So we've just, we've talked about the five key nutrients that a, run, a runner or indeed anybody should consider over the winter period, but particularly if you're a runner. So we, we talked about vitamin C, vitamin D, the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, magnesium and also the beta glucans. And all of these will support the immune system either directly or indirectly. Um, on magnesium's got that added function of supporting muscle relaxation, which, um, would be really protective again in the cold weather. So, so let's, um, let's move on and let's talk about the food sources of these nutrients. So, well, we talked about, um, vitamin C at the beginning of our discussion. Um, so could we talk about the food sources of vitamin C first, Karen? Um, And I know that vitamin C can be found in lots of foods, um, but I think it's just worth reminding ourselves of where we can find the principal food sources of vitamin C.
1: Yes, sure, Aileen. So, so it, it, it actually has been found that the, the fruit with the highest vitamin C content or ascorbic acid, whichever way you want to speak about it, is acerola. Now, acerola is also known as the Barbados cherry or the West Indian cherry because it, it the, the berries look like cherries. Um, however, it isn't actually a, a true berry. Now, it's known to be one of the richest natural sources of ascorbic acid in the world, um, and its vitamin C content is supposed to be comparable only with camu camu, if you've heard of that, which is another <laughs> cher- I know I have heard of it. I've seen it in the powder form, but I've never used it. Now, that's another cherry-like um fruit that's known to be native to Peru and Brazil, So so the the, the problem with acerola is that it has a very short shelf life um, and and a flavour that is rather unappealing. So it tends to be in the West here, um, it's purchased more in that powder form. Um, But but to kind of help everybody understand the potency of vitamin C that it contains, it's worth mentioning that the ascorbic content is in the range of 1500 to 4500 milligrams per hundred grams of of this fruit of the acerola fruit which is around 50 to almost 100 times more than an orange or a lemon or any of the citrus fruits it's quite phenomenal
0: it is very powerful berry yes (laughs) you know i guess i guess that um you know, we've probably all seen the acerola mentioned in um, supplement labels. Probably that's mm. where we would see it. So you can see why it would be included there. Um, but what about the foods that are more readily available? Um, the ones that are springing to my mind, Karen, are things like um, red chilies, uh, red, pep- red bell peppers, um, cruciferous vegetables like kale, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower kind of things that i was talking about including in my salads Mm -hmm. uh green leafy vegetables and of course um you know oranges and citrus fruits as well so like you were saying oranges um you know everybody thinks of vitamin c when they think of oranges um but another comparison um would be to, to compare the amount of vitamin c in red chili peppers so you get you know just over 360 milligrams per 100 grams for red chili peppers, whereas an orange con- contains just 50 uh, milligrams per 100 grams. So you can see that although oranges are like the popular one that we would go for, it- if we're really wanting to increase our vitamin C intake through food, oranges wouldn't be the top choice.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, it's really true, Alien. And what I think is also worth mentioning here is that the, so the UK recommended nutrient intake for vitamin C is 40 milligrams per day, which should in theory be quite easy to attain when you think you can get 50 milligrams from 100 grams of, of, um, uh, say an orange or something like that. But really to optimize vitamin C levels, um More than that, really, would be required. So when you think that it's a water-soluble vitamin, so we're unable to store it, and so we need to be taking in an optimal daily intake every day. That's really important. And also, I think um, it's worth mentioning that vitamin C is destroyed by exposure to air, to air. So eating these foods. Really as quickly as you possibly can when they're, when they're still fresh, that would be best. Or, um, or maybe and ensuring that you're consuming more than the minimum of 40 milligrams per day when you think that a lot of the, the potency could potentially be lost. Just ensuring that you're getting more than that minimal of 40 milligrams per day is going to be important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the minimal stuff is almost like, pain lip surface, i believe yeah, it doesn't yeah. really i don't think it really helps helps yeah, you I well it's agree. probably best than not doing it at all but okay yes. well let's move on to vitamin d and the, and the food sources of vitamin d and uh, we've we've talked about this in the past and you've already mentioned karen that uh, we make vitamin d principally through the absorption of uh, ultraviolet Light uh, sunlight through the skin, uh, but we can get a small amount uh, from food. So, I always explain to people that you know it, you make it through skin, but you can top up uh, your levels by eating certain foods. So, you won't get all of your vitamin D this way, but you could think about eating things like um, sardines. So, canned sardines in, in oil would be good. Um, salmon and mackerel would be another good choice. So, any of the, the this sort of small bony fish and and also you can sometimes get vitamin d in fortified dairy foods so uh, fortified milks uh, sometimes it's added to cereals Um, you can get them in in eggs and and some some cheeses as well so you know small amounts but um you know it's it's always worth getting as much as you can
1: Exactly, like you say, Eileen, it's about topping it up, isn't it? And and I think that the foods that you've mentioned are the principal foods. However, you can get a substantial amount of vitamin D from cod liver oil. However, I have to say cod liver oil is a bit of an acquired taste. Um, And again, if we were to think about comparisons, one tablespoon of cod liver oil delivers 1360 international units of vitamin D, whereas the sardines contain only 500 international units per 100 grams. So so you can see that there's a there's a significant difference, but it is about keeping it topped up, like you said, Mm -hmm. So Aileen, let's um, move on and and have a look at magnesium now. What are the principal food sources of this uh, mineral that you would consider?
0: Yeah, well, as we said, Karen, you know, this is a really important mineral and it's necessary for all the functions in the body. And although magnesium is found in abundance in many foods, um, many people are found to be deficient. Uh, And this is often thought because people are following a typical Western diet, which is High in processed foods rather than whole foods, um, but if you if you want to really focus on magnesium through through your food, um, you could think about having sea vegetables such as kelp and dulse. Um, and th- although they're not readily eaten by the majority of people, you can get them in um, you know specialist shops and also some supermarkets. There are some really good brands. Um, you know, I, I often, you know, will use seaweed sprinkles and things like that on my salads. Um, that would help. Uh, other more commonly um, eaten foods would be things like nuts and seeds, um, especially almonds and cashews. Uh, grains such as buckwheat, millet, and, and brown rice, um, tofu, uh, figs and apricots. And also, you know, just think dark green leafy vegetables. So um, that would be where I would look at. Uh, for my magnesium sources from food. What about anything you'd like to add to that, Karen?
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking about the comparisons again, Aileen. We've compared some of the others. And if we were to look at it again with the different um, food sources here, kelp contains a whopping sort of 760 milligrams 100 grams of of magnesium, Um, whereas almonds, which is actually quite one of the good sources of everyday foods containing uh, containing magnesium, it contains 270 milligrams per 100 100 grams. So again, quite a significant um, Mm. difference there. And again, when we look at buckwheat, it contains 229 milligrams per Per hundred grams, so yeah, it's vastly different between
0: foods. Mm. So thinking about the UK um, RNI for magnesium, so um, the recommended nutrient intake is three hundred milligrams for men and two hundred and seventy milligrams for women. So, so this is like another slight like female factor we could add in here. Um, so women require marginally less magnesium than men. Um, you know, according to the General research, um, the reasons for this aren't, you know, totally clear. Um, some experts feel that magnesium requirements should be based on body weight. So suggesting something like six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Um, that might tie into why women's RNI is lower as women tend to be lighter. Um, and I think this is a bit of a generalization and I, I would really think that magnesium intake should be linked to sort of environmental factors as well you know how much magnesium are you using up in a day because of stress because of um you know your training regime and things like that so i i think um again optimizing it would be really really important um so karen we we're sort of uh as usual running out of time so can we uh take a quick look at the sources of omega-3 and beta glucans? And I wondered if you could give us a few ideas for omega three to start with.
1: Yeah, sure, really. So, like I said, I'll, I'll 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 name a few, and I'll be as brief as due uh, to. Just- quickly as possible. So regarding um the oily fish containing omega-3, and these are the principal sources um that most people know about regarding um omega-3 food sources. Now there's an an acronym called SMASH and it's a really good way of remembering that the the fish, the oily fish to consider for your omega three, your day or your weekly omega three intake, and this is the acronym SMASH stands for salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. So, if you can remember that, then you'll remember the the different fish that uh, that are going to be supportive of, of omega three intake.
0: Great. Okay, and there are, there yeah. are some other. Um omega-3 um sources for vegetarians and vegans um so things like flaxseed hemp seed chia seeds and walnuts so um you know adding those in would would help too um so that that's really helpful karen and and we've and i like the acronym i I love that i think the only one that i don't eat regularly would be herring so maybe i should Mm. try that force myself to eat it yeah. <laughs> it doesn't appeal i have to say but i'm very good no. at all the others okay so thinking about the um the rni for um omega-3 um again there there are some uh, suggested differences for men and women so men should aim for um 1600 milligrams per day whereas the recommendation for women is 1100 milligrams um but remember these are not the optimal intake figures so again you know people would need to adjust that depending on on their health status really um so finally let's thinking about the beta-glucans um, and we talk about those as i said in episode 14 when we were discussing the immune system um, but karen wonder if you could tell us about the food sources of beta-glucans
1: Yes, of course, Aileen. So, so yeah. So you find beta glucans in the likes of oats, barley, baker's yeast, the whole grains, and also mushrooms. For exa- example, reishi, my ma- and shiitake mushrooms. Um, but as well as including foods, it, a p- potential a supplement contain- containing containing beta glucans may be necessary. And I know Aileen, you use a supplement containing. Is it beta one three? Uh, one 16 glucan and um, with some of your clients um mm-hmm. because it's it's a really natural form of soluble dietary fiber and it's derived from the cell wall of baker's yeast um and you use it because it's a pure extraction and so it doesn't contain enough yeast protein to cause any allergic reactions is that right Have i if i named that correctly alien
0: yeah yeah that's uh yeah. that what people need to be thinking about uh when they're choosing um a supplement and and you mentioned the um the mushrooms again you know it, mushrooms are really potent so you know having things like mushroom soup or um you know just using them in any kind of recipes would be really helpful so yeah um yeah. Great. Right. And, and, and also just about- the too. I, I was just thinking about the mushroom, medicinal mushroom supplements. I know everybody always like things. Oh, that sounds a bit woo woo, but actually there are some fantastic, uh, and a lot of research on, on the effectiveness of medicinal mushroom supplements. And I use them um, quite a lot with clients too.
1: Right. Thanks for that, Aileen. So hopefully you've all found uh, learning a bit about the the various food sources for these key nutrients really helpful. So before we move on to look at some of the practical and safety considerations to think about um, as winter running draws near, we're just going to take a short advert break. So Aileen, I'm going to hand it over to you again. Sorry, guys, that was (laughs) That was Bella getting tangled up in my microphone and nearly pulled it over. So I apologise. Aileen, do carry
0: on. And just in case you don't know who Bella is, Bella's a Labrador. Yes. (laughs) She she joins us for all of our podcasts and normally she's very good. I think that's the only second time ever that she's... Got tangled. Yeah, she's
1: interrupted play. <laughs> so I do apologize. <laughs> do carry on, Aileen.
0: Okay. So as Karen said, we're going to pause for our um, short advert break. And this is the point of the episode where we we start to tell you a little bit about what we do outside of the podcast. So um, as you know, uh, Karen and I run Runners Health Hub, and that's where we offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster and stronger runner. Um, and over the past few months we've been doing uh, quite a bit of research around the nutrition and lifestyle challenges experienced predominantly by women in our Facebook group but also with some clients. Uh, and what we realized was that the topics we're covering on a week-to-week basis are really well received and we get lots of positive feedback. But the missing link for many followers is they don't know how to put it all into practice and they would really value some direct input from us while they do it. So in recent uh, weeks, we've been busy designing our healthy woman, healthy runner method. And, um, we, we're offering a program that will be, um, launching, um, early in the new year. But in, in the meantime, we're offering some free training to help you. So if you're getting frustrated with any challenges, any health challenges of being a midlife runner, we'd love to invite you to our free, free live online training. And we've, we've already hosted a few of these sessions and we've had great feedback. And we'd love uh, to invite you to join us. So if you're interested, uh, check out the show notes in the episode um, and you'll find a link to register. But if it's easier to email us, just email us as hello at Runners Health Hub or message us and we'll send you the registration link. Um, So we'd love you to join us. And um, it's our mission to help you be a healthy woman, healthy runner for many years to come.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Aileen. So now what we're going to do is we're going to move away from food and nutrition and start to think about some practical and safety considerations for all our winter running. And, um, and I. I do think that during the cold, dark winter months, we do need to take extra precautions when running outside, both for our safety, but also for our health as well. So so let's consider some ideas. Um, a key one that springs to mind for me is to potentially invest in a, a high vis or a reflective gilet or jacket so that you can be seen. And um and if you're like me and you run with a dog, that Bella, um, then I would really ins- think about ensuring that he or she is visible to others too. So maybe again, a reflective jacket for, for your dog or, or maybe just a, a flashing collar or something so that they can be seen. And that's what I tend to use is just a flashing collar and it's really bright. So, so, um, so she can be seen. Another way of maybe remaining visible to others is to wear a head torch. And I would say here, even wearing it in well-lit areas, um, I think a torch could... Also help prevent an injury. So, cause quite often it's quite dim lighting when you're out running and that could potentially lead to you missing cracks in the pavements or maybe falling over obstacles such as fallen trees or any litter that's been left lying about. So a head torch is potentially a really good investment here. How about you, Aileen? What would you, what would you add to that list?
0: Yeah, well I I definitely suggest carrying your phone with you. I think lots of people do, but um I think it's really important to have have a phone with you just in case you need to call family or a friend if you if you have an accident or get into any trouble. Um always make sure it's well charged before you head out the door. Um you could also maybe think about having a re- reflective wrist or ankle bands which might be a cheaper alternative to a Julia or a jacket. Um, and yeah, always run in well lit areas, uh, particularly if you're running in the dark and try not to take risks. Um, you know, I think we, in the past, we've always been really conscious of personal safety. Um, but I think there's also the risk of, you know, just having an accident and making sure that you're somewhere where people can help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think they're all really good points, alien. And, and also, you know, these sort of things are, are easy to think about, easy to implement, just to keep yourself safe and healthy. Now, if we were to sort of move on and think about the weather, um, so the cold weather as we head deeper into winter, um, I would, I would suggest che- checking your running shoes actually, just to ensure they still have good grip. You know, when was the last time you actually changed your running shoes? And I know I actually need to do this myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really important that you've got the good, the good grip for those slippery paths and trails actually. And in fact, if you do have trail shoes, because some people have, um, road shoes and trail shoes and, and maybe it's time to get your trail shoes out. Um, or maybe not yet, but in the near future, getting those out um, and and just swapping them over and using those as the heavy rain and possibly the snow starts to arrive. Um, I would also suggest wearing layers just to keep you warm because you can always take them off and tie them around your waist once you've started to warm up. And also... um, Taking or wearing a hat and having gloves, mitts being really good because um, they tend to be warmer than than gloves because it's skin on skin. So, um, so, so that tends to keep you much warmer than than gloves do.
0: Yeah, yeah, all good good suggestions, Karen. And I'd I'd also recommend take some money just in case you needed a taxi or um, you know have a, a warm drink ready for you when you finished running you know you you might want to stop off and buy something on the way home Mm -hmm. um and also you know have that emergency contact number available just in case um and i think you know the other thing is you know and i've done this so many times where i've run in when really i shouldn't have done because the weather conditions are just too extreme and i think on those days you really have to come up with an alternative so think about what else you could do a swim, um, go spinning, a tr- go some treadmill running or some indoor strength training just until you can go outside again. Um, I mean, I'm hyper aware of that because, as you know, I broke my wrist on the ice last year and it is it, really scary. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. Um, yeah. So I will be extra, extra careful this year. Okay. So um, we're going to have to draw to a conclusion again, Karen. Um, so quite easily gone chatting about uh, the winter um yeah. so we've con- considered a few practical tips uh, for everybody to consider um as you head out the door on those cold winter mornings um and you know let's just do a quick roundup if we can Karen um so would you give us your key takeaways
1: yeah sure Eileen. so so really my key takeaways from this episode would be um there are many nutrients to consider to help keep you healthy during the winter months. Um, however, our five principal ones that we've discussed today are the vitamin C and vitamin D, the magnesium, omega-3 and also the beta-glucans. Now, these five key nutrients have many diverse roles in health and well-being. But they are all important in supporting the immune system. And we all want to be ensuring that our immune systems are in really good health as we head into into the winter months. Remember that women are more susceptible to autoimmune, autoimmune conditions. So a good reason to really try and maintain optimal immune health all year round, but especially during the winter months. Um, there are daily recommended nutrition intake levels for most nutrients that are set out by UK government bodies. However, these are set at levels known to prevent illness in the majority of people. They're not, they're not recommended optimal intake levels. And so really worth, we're, we're thinking about the optimal intake of these key nutrients here. Remember that certain nutrients can be lost from food through exposure to air, but also through cooking methods and other factors. So be mindful of this when considering your daily intake of, of the key nutrients for your winter running. And just sort of moving away from the food and the nutrients and thinking about the practicalities of winter running. It is important that we take extra precautions when running outside, both for our safety and also for our health. Ensure you can see and be seen. So run in well-lit areas wherever possible. And remember, consider wearing a high-vis jacket um, or a head torch, or, or both really, when you're out running, especially in the dark. And keep warm, especially if you're going out for a really long run. Wear layers, because you can always take them off and tie them around your waist. Um, and remember to take Hat and gloves as well, Um, because it's worth remembering that exposure of the head and face are, are thought to account for a large proportion of body heat loss. So so keeping your head covered may be important. And then finally, uh, don't take risks like Aileen was saying earlier. If the weather or environmental conditions are not conducive to safe running, then keep active by doing another sport for a short while, for example, swimming, the gym, the treadmill, until you can get back outside again. So those would be my key takeaways,
0: Aileen. Great. So lots of key takeaways for us to I know. What to think about for the winter. Okay, well, thanks again, Karen, that really great conversation. And remember everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster, and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialling wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.